Hello and welcome to CXO Talk episode 185. Uh, my name is Diane Hinchcliffe. Uh, it's Tuesday, August 2nd, uh, and we have a great show for you. Um, I'm a, a chief strategy, of, a strategy officer of Seven Summits, a ZDNet contributor um, and a host on here on CXO Talk. And I'm very pleased to have a very special guest, uh, Basque Iyer. He is the CIO of VMware, and we're here to talk about uh, digital transformation and the CIO. Welcome, Basque. Thank you, Dan. How are you? I'm doing very well. Uh, so we're excited to have you on the show. Um, we know that uh, you're a very experienced CIO, and, and uh, we want to kind of get your perspective on you know, the hot topic of the day, digital transformation, talk about the future of the CIO. Uh, I know I think you want to talk about things like Internet of Things, which is also a very popular subject uh, uh, with me as well. So I look forward to talking about that. So why don't you give us a little bit of background and context, kind of tell your story so that uh, the folks watching know a little bit more about you. Sure. Uh, about 30 years ago, I was selling refrigerators and air conditioners in Bangalore. And uh, I thought Bangalore was a sleepy town that would go nowhere. So uh, I left uh, to learn about computers. I came to the U.S. about 30 years ago, uh, worked for a few years as an intern in Cape Canaveral, uh, and then spent a lot of my years in, in a large companies, you know, manufacturing, manufacturing automation, companies like Johnson & Johnson, GlaxoSmithKline. And then I did a, a lot, long stint in Honeywell I, for about 10 years, did general manager roles and then IT roles, went back and forth between a CIO role to a GM role. Uh, and then I ended up as a group CIO for Honeywell. One of the things that I was always uh, fascinated by was Silicon Valley. You know, so I had come here on visits and about six years ago, I had the bug to actually come and live in Silicon Valley and learn how Silicon Valley operates. So I did a stint with Juniper Networks as, a, as their CIO. And for the last six quarters, a year and a half, I've been in VMware as their CIO. Um, so my background is generally business and, and IT. Yeah, that's, that's quite a journey from Cape Canaveral to Honeywell to uh, VMware. So, so tell us a little bit about VMware. You know, I'm inside the technology business, so I know who you guys are, but I think most people aren't aware uh, outside the technology world what VMware does, who you guys are, how big you are, and kind of how, where you sit in the industry. Yeah, I think we got famous because we came up with this concept of virtualization, and uh, VM and VMware stands for that. And if, uh, if you recall, uh, in, in the 90s, late 90s, we used to have so many machines, hardware machines. They heated up all the data centers, and we had thousands and thousands of them. And everybody wanted their own machines, so we ended up buying more, more of them, more of them, and consuming energy, etc. But we found out that that not all the computers were used 100% of the time. So if you look at the CPUs of the utilization of the computers, they were not really used all the time. So the inventors in VMware came up with this concept of a software layer that abstracted this computer make it look like a virtual computer for you. So the end users, you felt like you were getting your own private server, and I was felt like I was getting my own private server, and in reality, we were just sharing that, right? So obviously, the efficiencies that IT professionals like me got out of it was tremendous. You know, we could have one-third the computers we had before and still provide the value that we did. And the company goes, I mean, and, and needless to say, the energy utilization you can get, the amount of you know, greenhouse <laughs> gases you save, et cetera. So the company took off like a rocket. Almost every data center that you have today would have VMware products. The good and bad about it is our brand is so popular with, with virtualization and virtualization software that sometimes people think that's the only thing we do. And, and we've matched that for, us for the last few years from 
virtualizing the, the computer, the, the compute, to virtualizing the network, because that's another area that's prime for opportunity, and virtualizing storage. So we are now doing what we did on the CPU and the computer on network and storage. So there's a big wave of that coming. And then we, we branched out into virtualizing desktops and we branched out into mobile products. So, you know, mobility is in use in enterprise and it, it's going to grow. How do you make it secure? And how do you make sure that it's manageable? So yeah, we right. new products in those areas. But if your brand is so big, I mean, it's, it's something we're very proud of. If the brand is that big, the first thing people associate ourselves is, is with virtualization. Yeah, no, it's really hard to kind of get permission to go into these new spaces and be recognized as a leader. And so, so uh, you know, you guys are 6.6 .6 billion in revenue. You got 19,000 employees. You're responsible for service delivery to all of those folks, plus a lot of customer-facing technologies, I'm sure. Yeah. You know, and so you just highlighted one of your biggest challenges, which is you know permission to grow. I mean, you guys are you help bring the realize the economics of cloud, right? Virtualization does that, right? Uh, and so that gave you you know permission to do a lot more. So what are your largest global challenges? Uh, you know, we got, I know in terms of most CIOs, you got um, the millennials coming in, you got consumerization, uh, you know, you're probably having your own issues transitioning to the cloud, but what are you really facing? Yeah, so as you said, I run probably the largest private, one of the largest private clouds in the world. You know, every bit of what VMware uses, including all the R&D, runs on our private cloud. So we, we drink our own champagne, if you will. Uh, and we have challenging customers. You know, we are growing exponentially. The companies, you know, it wasn't the company was, you know, it's, it's a pretty young company still. It looks like it's been there forever, but we've grown from zero to six and a half in, in a record time and still growing. So with that, the needs of the computing is exponential. So the first thing is you have to make sure that the, that the computers and the, the resources that we have are all functioning in a private cloud. Um, so that's one. The, the, the second important thing is we perform a very important use. We are a typical enterprise company. Most of our customers are CIOs like myself. They want to know, how do you run VMware? So we are a big use case for you know, drinking our own champagne, if you will. So a lot of you know, our IT time is spending, spend talking to external customers because they want to know, how do you run it? <laughs> you know, don't tell me the book. Don't tell me the theory. You tell me how do you run SAP? How do you run Office 365? How do you run Workday? How do you go to SaaS? So a good portion of our time is spending on something called VMware on VMware, we're very proud of, where we show people how we actually run VMware. Uh, the, the third thing is mobility. I think it's a very strong one for me. The challenge is, I believe, and we can talk more about it, that enterprise mobility has not really taken off. It's compared to what is happening in consumer mobile, enterprise mobility is in infancy. Right, so we have we've done a lot of things to kind of fix that, and still we have you know ways to go, and it's pretty exciting. Uh, and the talent, talent is always a challenge. And what do you do to attract uh, millennials? And we want we want you know not all creative things come from you know millennials. That's something that tech world believes. People like you know the the silver haired gentlemen like you and I can produce value as well. So we cannot forget that, and then have a rich diversity of talent that we bring, how do you do this when everybody else seems to want the same people? So those yeah, would no, be exactly. challenges. Yeah, no, so you said two very important things there. Um, and one is mobility. I very much see that, that there is virtually no parity between the consumer mobile world and the enterprise mobile world. Uh, and I have some theories about why that is, but what are you seeing in terms of what's, what's holding enterprise mobility back? Why can't it achieve the same kind of 
uh, effortless use and the, the same kind of value creation that we're seeing on the consumer side? I think I think it's a little bit of lack of leadership you know, from from IT, internal IT. So I should take some responsibility. And I think a lot of risk averseness and this, we've gotten into this area of let's just outsource, let's just get it easy, let's just be brokers of information and not applying creativity to enterprise and thinking out of the box. So I think you know we need to put the creativity and technical talents back in. So look, 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 this, look at the stats. Just the iPhone store, I've heard anywhere from five million applications are available. Or, you know, and then Android store has probably even more. Uh, and you cannot live without some of the mobile apps that you have. You cannot leave your home without your Google Maps or your Waze and, and, and banking applications and so on. They yeah, we, we lost our ability to, to navigate without our phones, right? <laughs> I can't find my local coffee shop without, without a map program. But then all of a sudden you come into the enterprise and people say, well, we have mobile. What do you do with it? We do email and calendaring. Okay, let me remind you, in 1998, I think, we gave Blackberries to everybody and we did email and calendaring then. We were doing it back then, absolutely. So Almost 20 years ago. Years in technology is like half of the, you know, um, um, the IT world, if you will. And, and so all you're saying is now you're giving them email and calendar access on your iPhone and you're proud that that is a mobile strategy. And then people stop and say, oh, no, 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 hang on. We give the access. There's an application we've got called Concur, which does expense reports. You can download the client. You can download the Salesforce client. You can download the Coupa client. You can download the Ariba client. I'm looking and saying, okay, again, that's kind of laziness. You are kind of expecting the vendors to give you all the stuff. And by the way, I now have you know, 15 client apps. And you know, as if you have a phone, you have to sometimes make a decision on which clients you have to delete to make room for the other ones. I end up mm -hmm. deleting the enterprise clients, right? Yes. Because I cannot delete my Google Maps and I cannot delete my, my, um, you know, my important banking stuff and so on, which again tells me that we've taken the easy way out. So um, here's one problem statement for you. I, um, when I started this profession, the way you did approval as a manager is your assistant would give you a vanilla folder and say there's purchase orders, travel expenses, headcount requests, salary increases, and you look through them and sign them and give the file back. How quaint. But now what, what we have to but, do is- But that was a workflow designed around you, right? Now we're, we're, we're designing and shaping all of our behavior across those 15 very different applications with very different user experiences, right? Bingo. Bingo. Yeah. But I think so, the, the root cause, if you ask me, the root cause is that you know, we have these, you know, iOS and Android are really impressive accomplishments, right? They cram a supercomputer and an incredibly rich software development kit into this tiny little device that does so very much. Uh, but these platforms are not something our IT departments grew up with, right? You know, our IT people have a lot of silver hair like you and me, as you were mentioning. Uh, and so we don't know these, te these technologies very well. It, uh, and and, and uh, developing the applications is something that we're still building up capability. It takes us 10 years to really fully absorb a technology sometimes in IT. So that's problem one. And two, what I hear from a lot of people is, mobile device management platforms. There's no standard, there's no leader. And so the management tools we have for distributing the applications and creating internal app stores are still in their infancy. So we're just really behind. Uh, what, what, what do you think about that? Well, I, so um, uh, it's, uh, I, I kind of agree with infrastructure being in infancy, but I think we are putting the horse before the cart, the cart before the horse. You know, if you have a re really good use case, we can overcome that. So typically, how have you rolled out MDM? We tell people, 
uh, you know, hey, if you don't use, you, sh you must use MDM uh, because it's secure. Okay, so it's like a hammer that we throw on people. And it goes only so far, especially in the days of bring your own devices where people are saying, it's my phone. Why, why do you, what's, what, what do I get out of it? You know, and what, what are you going to do with my children's photos and my personal information and so on, which is a valid question. When I started my career again, you could kind of say, well, you work for the company, tough, get used to it. Whether it's your phone or my phone, you will use, you know, what I tell you to do. Those days are gone. And, you know, again, when you're competing for talent, you know, where is the carrot? You know, um, you, the, you, when you download your consumer apps, you actually, you know, if you read through some of the privacy statements, it looks pretty scary. But you mm -hmm. download it because you get value out of it, right? You're willing right. to trade in something for that. So what am I trading in an enterprise app? So here's an example I give you. The same approvals. So I went. We, we created an approval application uh, that that we call we approve that VMware has. But all the approvals comes to one app. So now I go to one app. It has notification and pushes me and says there are four things for you to be approved, right? And I click and it's a expense report application that I click and approve. It works in the back end with Concur or whatever expense report system you have with REST APIs to approve it, or you have uh, a procurement application you click. I, I'm not thinking about what the app is. I'm approving a purchase order. I'm approving an expense report. I'm approving a headcount. I'm approving an increase. Yeah, you're, you're thinking about the business and you're thinking about the user experience, right? Exactly. The thing is, I think we were initially, all of us, lazy in, in not thinking through it. I mean, lazy is probably too strong a term. Is Somehow mobile doesn't feel like a real application. Unless you put it on a big desktop and you have an ERP system in the back, you, you don't feel like you've gotten your money's worth out of the CIO. So we always tend to think about those. Yep. Well, I have a, another related theory. You know, there's uh, talking to a lot of CIOs over the years, there's been a, kind of this big backlash against customization. We've learned that if you try to over customize these enterprise platforms, then when the new version comes along, we can't get it because we have to redo the customization. And so there's been a big kind of a move to say, we're going to adapt our businesses. When it's not strategic, we're going to adapt our businesses to the software rather than the other way around. And I think we took that lesson with us to mobile. And we're not building the custom business apps that can really unleash value and productivity. What do you think about that? Yeah, I, I totally agree. I think, I think this uh, IT industry itself has flip-flopped several times, right? When I started it, they took the most technical guy and they promoted him to be the head of IT or CIO or whatever. And then we were surprised as, why does this person, you know, why is he a geek? Why does he not communicate the right way? How is he not partnering with the business? So I, I suppose we should hire a business guy. And we hired a business guy who's had no understanding of technology. That went the other way on the pendulum. And what value are you adding to your customers if you don't have, have any clue or interest or passion on technology? Now, it's kind of a melding of those two. This debate about customizing, not customizing, I agree. Certain things, you don't want to customize your email application. But you need to go through a brain process to say, what are the differentiators I have that I must customize and add value and what are this just the table stakes that there's no point customizing, right? If information technology, I believe, is the a, is a biggest differentiator, the biggest competitive weapon that I have. So if you and I have the same uh, competitive companies and you use, use email and I use email, who's better? You use an, uh, you know, a non-standardized... Yeah. Uh, not, not a differentiator, right, yeah. Yeah, so it's like, well, okay, you got a table stake, I got a table stake, you got a table stake. So I think we have to go through an IT, a process of, these are five things I'm going to be better at you than you, that I am going to invest my people and time and creativity to differentiate. And I think this permission to be different, permission to innovate, permission to create, uh, develop, 
we have lost that muscle, I bet. And then I, 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 and I think in mobile, especially, we kind of think of it as a toy. Uh, and, and we have to move, this, this is the computer, the mobile is the computer for people. So we have to start thinking completely differently now. Yeah, I agree about that. So, so I think uh, it sounds like your recommendation to, to other organizations is pick and win, uh, pick and choose your battles carefully. Win the ones that will give you the differentiation that really matters. Is that right? Sure, sure absolutely. So that, uh, that is the part of the strategies. Don't outsource everything. Think and outsource the ones that, that other people can do better at a lower cost. Uh, don't, uh, don't delegate everything because then what is the value you bring to the table? So I think I think IT has to go through a process of uh, critical ones and differentiators and non-differentiators, and then put some resources and thought and effort into it. Otherwise, uh, um, you know, what what do you really bring to the table? That's right. Yeah. So so I think we, we put a good bow on mobile, kind of capturing the state of the art there. Uh, so I'd like to move the conversation to the second thing that you brought up, which I think is even more important: is how do you how do you realize this? How do you activate on that? That requires people who are, you know, understand the technology and today have soft skills like collaboration and communication and empathy for, for users, right? Those are the kind of the words that we're using. How are you uh, dealing with the issues of talent management, which is, you know, we know talent is super scarce for Silicon Valley companies. Uh, what are you facing today? Yeah, so we compete with the best and most of them are in the cycling uh, distance, right? Most people can bicycle across to, the, to our competition. Uh, and to go, and everybody is looking for the same set of talent that we have. Uh, and companies are doing different things, as you've noticed. People have this, you know, dry cleaning service and washing machine and the best food and so on. All that is, you know, somewhat important. But uh, what I find is with uh, the differentiator we do, and I, I give it as an open secret because I want people to copy it if they can. The days when I started working, I used to work for, you know, anybody that, you know, um, gave you money and. Uh, and you work for people who are really bad managers, but you felt like what didn't kill you makes you stronger. So you work for the, the worst managers possible. They were, you know, ruthless, whatever. But what is happening now is uh, the best talent want, want to work for good managers. They want to work for good people. So they do, people want to work for good people. So you must have good people. You must have values. I think companies' value systems become very important. They want to know what is your company. They have to have a goal that's above and beyond making the quarter. So I've often told people that, that you know, you need to have a mission that's about and beyond just creating a lot of money because it attracts uh, a certain type of talent, but more often the wrong kind of talent. And, and honestly, there's a lot of companies making a ton of money. So having core values and then really talking about social causes, trying to really change the world through technology and then being an example for that, being a good person, being a good leader in a good company sounds very old fashioned. Um, but I find that a lot of people want to work there. I mean, there are there are managers I have who I I, I call them chi uh, givers, energy givers. You come into work and you feel energized when you see them. And there are some people who take the energy out of you, the the chi suckers, as you call them. So I think placing emphasis on creating an environment uh, where talent, um, is, the good talent is attractive, is pretty important. Uh, and that's that's our secret sauce, I think. Yeah, well, and I would even argue that it really isn't that old-fashioned. You know, you talk to the millennials, and, and you know, that's going to be the biggest part of our workforce in the next couple of years, right? If it isn't they now, probably in your, your business, right? I, I'm a millennial expert because I have two children who are millennials. And the way they select companies is quite different than, you know, I would take a job that's 
but gave me a good salary and you know I can start on Monday, whatever. But they are asking a lot of questions. They want to know what does the company really do? How does it matter? What are you going to do different that that's going to change the world? So um, I think that's very critical, having a purpose above and beyond, you know, just making the quarter. And the millennials, if you look at all the surveys, the top among their biggest concerns is the ability to, to go to an organization where they can grow and develop. Uh, and, and I was wondering, do you see that? And, and, and how do you provide that given that, you know, you can only go, go so high in IT before, you know, there's not that many jobs, whereas in, on the business side, there's so many more opportunities. I think, I think we should challenge that. That's what we have done is, first of all, uh, I, told, I told the folks that we all work for VMware to raise the share price of VMware. So don't put yourself into a box that says you're a support function, you can only so, go so far in IT, and you're not allowed to dream and innovate. Only the product development folks are allowed to innovate and create. I just challenge that because nobody wants to go work for a place which says, I just want to do mind-numbing jobs. I don't want to be creative or innovative or whatever. So, so the way we challenge them is to say, yes, there's a critical support function. Your email, network, everything has to work. So get it working, get it automated, but then don't get stuck in that speed. You know, that's just the, like the Maslow's law of hierarchies. You have to get a few things working, but you need to go beyond that. You need to, you need to think about what products we can develop. You know, for example, we tell, I tell them, you are customer number one. You are the per people who use our products. So what's mm -hmm. the point of view? Where do you think vSphere should be? How easy or difficult is it to create a public cloud? What do you think about the competition? What do you think about OpenStack? What do you think about VMware? So you know, when you talk to business folks, now they come to our IT folks and ask them for use cases. Would you guys, DevOps guys, would you guys like this product or not like the product? We took a, it took two things to make it happen. Is one is straightening the back, you know, making people confident to say you could dream and innovate and, and create, but also getting the operations in order. I mean, you cannot really say, you know, I'm, I'm, a, I'm too busy to run the email for you or I'm too busy to run the network. So that's the combination we had to do. The millennials, you know, the, the thing we tell them is I think, I think sometimes you again over rotate on millennials. We say every cool idea is going to come from millennial and not from the other folks. Surprisingly, when we did workshop, a lot of the enterprise use cases and ideas and stuff came from, you know, not millennials. It came from experienced professionals who were who had an inclination and readiness to mentor the millennials. So yep. find those mentors, and I actually have rewarded them. I actually I recognize them because they are the ones who make the millennials look good, right? You know, when you get out of college, what do you really know? So you need to explain what enterprises, what an enterprise use case is, develop them, guide them and show them how the back end and everything works and take pride in the success of your mentees. Yeah, well, so I, I think this shows, again, the strength of diversity, right? And, and so it sounds like your message, uh, uh, your vision of IT in terms of the talent is you want to create a, a very empowered workforce, but first make sure the lights are on, right? right. right. Take care of the basics, but then people are empowered to innovate and push the envelope um, and come together. So it's very interesting what you just said about, you know, you see that these groups come together and the ideas come from every direction, not, you know, not just the newer, younger people who are supposedly chomping at the bit. Uh, and this kind of takes us to that hot topic of the day, which is digital transformation. Yeah. Uh, if I understand, uh, you know, what you were, you were saying earlier on, you know, you're drinking your own champagne. So you, a big part of digital transformation for you is to kind of transform into your own products and be using your products as much as possible. What else does it mean? What are your, what are your kind of your plans? If you had a, 
you know, 18 month or two year kind of you know, bulleted list. Where, where are you going to take else? Are you going to take VMware in terms of digital transformation? So I'll give you two of them, two of the examples. One is, you know, um, one is internal and one is external. So when you, when I used to talk to um, other CEOs or CFOs, typically the conversation a few years would have been, hey, you know, my, my CIO, my IT group, that it seems like a rat hole. I don't know how much money you're spending. These guys have spent a lot of money on technology, buying a lot of cool things, but I don't really know how to get stuff out of it. So you've been a CIO for a long time. What advice do I have? So the question was about operations and how much money and so on. I think the CIOs got very good at managing you know, the spending and the money. In fact, they got too good. And a lot of the CIOs you talk to sound like CFOs. They, they've overrated on the ROI and the finance part of it. The, so nowadays, you know, the, the CEOs seem to come back and say, hey, I got a great CIO. He can keep the trains running on time. He's very good. But I don't think, I'm, what I'm worried about is, is somebody like, am I going to get Uberized? Is somebody going to come back and do something and completely change my business model? So should I hire a digital guy? Should I hire somebody else? So there's a lot of talks about this. And, and what that means is, the CIO has not transitioned. I mean, you've got to keep on changing. Every year, the, the stakes go up. The CIO has, is now the digital leader. So you have to be in the head of the table. And they won't give it to you. You have to earn your right slowly. Uh, and you've got to challenge the business models. You have to challenge, you know, showcase the, some of the changes that are happening. So um, that's something we do routinely. One way to, that I could do is, first, again, deliver value. Otherwise, they'll send me back to fixing the network. And then once you do that, you run the product, you have a good value, you know, I have a good idea of what our products do. I probably know uh, better than a lot of the folks who work in VMware in themselves across the value of products. I mean, obviously we have brilliant people in product development, that's not what I'm saying, but I know how to operationalize and run it across the planet. I also know what products I would be buying if I'm not buying VMware. I'm the guy who writes purchase orders. So I know how difficult it is to sign an order with purchase with VMware, how to execute an order, so now you can translate all that as here's the typical customer pain point, you know, so mm-hmm. we can transition, we transition ourselves as customer number one, where the senior executives all the way from CTO tells us people to say, talk to this group. And if these guys are not going to buy this product and version, there's a good chance nobody else is going to buy it outside. Yeah, right. Exactly. Uh, and so if I could just uh, pause you there just for a moment, uh, we're about halfway through uh, episode 185 of CXO Talk. Um, we're having a great conversation with the CIO uh, Bask Iyer of VMware, uh, talking about digital transformation, talent, mobile. Uh, hopefully, we'll get to the Internet of Things. Uh, we'd love to take your questions uh, on Twitter. Uh, the hashtag is CXO Talk, uh, and we'll see that. And I'll be happy to pose your questions to Bask. So, so great conversation so far, uh, and it's been lovely talking with you. Um, and so, uh, you know, we were talking a little bit about digital transformation, uh, and, and and it sounded like you were saying that the CIO should be leading the business from the front, uh, explaining the art of the possible uh, and, and guiding, you know, having the true leadership of the business, not just the technology. Uh, did I understand you correctly? No, absolutely, because I think uh, we made the mistake before. In, again, in 2000, uh, I was a digital leader for Honeywell. That's how I got hired into Honeywell. You know, so digitization and chief digital officers are not a new thing. We think it's a new thing. So if you go back and Listen to Jack Wells. He talked about digitization on GE in 1999. But the issue that we had is you can you can start dreaming about the new things when you actually put it at scale. It is it falls apart. So typically people come back and they dream big things, but execution is still people process technology. 
the best person in your function who has done this is typically the IT, the CIO. That, I mean, you, you implemented massive changes for 20, 25 years sometimes. So why would you give up that space and not be the leader? That's the first thing is it's fun. You get a seat, you, a seat at the table and you should be dreaming. And who else can do that better than you? So some well, people- but, but, Might not the chief digital officer, it, you know, isn't he or she getting all the fun work now about you know, reinventing the business for digital or, or the CMO is, is buying a lot of IT, uh, a lot of customer facing IT these days. Don't they also, uh, aren't they competing with the CIO? I don't, I mean, I read about it. So yeah, as a practitioner, I don't see it. First of all, I'm a CMO and I are very close. We work together and she sees me as a value contributor. I certainly don't have the skills that she has. You know, I can't even market one line, one brand, whatever. But I have 25 years of implementing, you know, 30 years of implementing systems and solutions. So, so I think, uh, but the thing with the CIO is you have to be open-minded. You know, I call it, you know, I've compared it to riding the, the, the surfing the waves is you cannot rest on the laurels to say, I've surfed, you know, these waves yesterday. You have to surf the wave, wave in front of you, right? So, and every day there's a new wave coming. So I, I am probably the world's leading authority on VAX, VMS, and Fortran programming and so on. So what? How does that matter now? So I think I think that I've, I've forgotten all my Fortran, fortunately. <laughs> yeah, we should go on a on a hackathon and see who's better. I, I guarantee you, I'm so good. But it doesn't matter. The, the 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 thing is, you got to be in a mindset to say change is good. You you got into technology because you were interested in it, and you should have the mindset to you know go with the change. Otherwise, and and quite honestly, in technology, what I found is that. Change agents are typically the guys who stop the change for the next wave. Mm -hmm. So the mainframe guys, if you look at it, when people like me got into the world, they were the guys who almost killed me and said, you know, no amount of VAX, VMS, and DEC and SUN is going to work like a mainframe. You don't understand programming till you've done so much of COBOL. You just suck the energy out of, out of me uh, trying to challenge that, right? So the most mainframe folks did not get mid-range. Most mid-range folks did not get PCs. Most PCs guys did not get internet. Most internet guys, guys did not get mobile. And it's going well, on and on. Well, that's, I mean, that's the issue is, you know, uh, the, you know these days, the, those that, that are illiterate are the ones that can't unlearn and learn the new thing, right? I mean, this is our, this is our big challenge. Uh, and I think that uh, this is why companies are falling behind technology change. But you said something really important there I wanted to highlight, and that is about change agents. That's the conversation that's happening more and more broadly. As you realize, we can't wait for everyone uh, to, to do this. We have to find the people who are able to effectively deliver on change. Are yeah. you doing anything specific to cultivate change agents inside or outside your organization to kind of help you with your goals? Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's a process. So what I look at it is, Typically, people we still look for heroes. Can you find me this one change agent, you know, who's so super brilliant that he can lead the company and we all will follow? That's not how real organizations work. Is we have twenty five thousand people when you include all the contractors, suppliers, and so on to work with. I have about two thousand people in my thing to work. So me being brilliant and coming at six a.m. and going at nine p.m. is not going to move the needle for VMware, quite honestly. So what is going to move the needle is me kind of creating an environment where I have those 25,000 people kind of working and creating and creating the change together and not fighting against each other. So I, I think that's the trick you learn. There are books written about it and so on. The practical stuff is, you know, um, people like a common cause. I mean, uh, if, 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 if the goal of my digitization is to make sure I'm a hero, my CMO is not going to support me. 
If I make the here thing on, hey, we got to change and we got to get better than the competition, it's the right thing for VMware. 99% of the people in the company want to do the right thing for VMware. They will always perhaps be the 1%. I don't see them. If I see them, they don't last long enough in the company. Well, I think there is a difference between change champions, because I think you're right. You know, most of the, you know, most of the people want the change. But when change actually shows up, a lot of people either don't want to do it in reality for a variety of, variety of reasons, or they can't. And so the change agents are ones that are actually effective. And so I think right. I do think there's a difference. Uh, but, so, you know, so let's say you have change agents and, and you'll be able to cultivate them. Uh, let's talk about practical realities. And you, and you once said something really important uh, when I was researching this episode, uh, and that is that you said that having, making sure you have a strong foundation at the back end of your IT is ready for this, right? And so we've heard all the conversations around containers and microservices architectures and this investment we should have been making for years. You know, like Nordstrom has been, you know, is the poster child for digital transformation because they spent all that time building a strong foundation. Now they can build all these great mobile apps and services. What, you know, what is your experience there? It sounds like you've, you've kind of really, you've, uh, you've had real challenges in that space. Yeah, so everywhere I've gone to most companies, you know, I go into companies typically and they say they want to scale. And, you know, we need somebody like you to come and help scale. When you look at what is really the root cause of scale is the foundation is weak, right? So, so and, and what people end up doing is putting more and more clever, cute little things on the front end because they don't have the time or the patience to go change the foundation. So let me just for another two years, write something pretty on the front. Well, it's too long a payoff too. Like everybody wants, they want IT ROI in one year, but That's right. to get that foundation, it's going to take you three, four, right. four That's years. Right. Right? So, so it's like, you know, it's what do you, when you go to the doctor, I want to lose weight. Uh, do you want exercise? No. Do you want to eat right? No. Right. Okay. I want a pill. So I have two choices. I can either give you a pill. Otherwise you're not going to come back. So I think we have also trained the CIOs. I mean, if I talk about ERP and transformation and so on, do you want to actually talk about this? Nobody wants to talk about it. The, the business doesn't want to talk about it. But at some stage, you got to have that. How, you know, we always talk about how great Amazon is on the front end. I know I can search for a shoe and get it. But the beauty of Amazon is the fact that shoe gets delivered on time and you can track it. And, you know, it's what I what I The customer have. experience. Yeah, exactly. Right? So if not, who the recommendation engine doesn't make any sense if I don't get the shoe delivered, right? So... In a lot of cases, we don't, this is the hidden dark secret about IT is in VMware, we implemented a, we went live with, uh, with an ERP system a month back. I don't even talk about it, unfortunately, because people don't think of that as a digital transformation. People say, well, what about cool things on mobile, cool things on that? You can't do the cool things if your foundation is weak. So a lot of places we go, one of the IT's job is you, you're also like a doctor. You have to tell the patient you're sick and you need mm -hmm. to take on medicine. But you can just over-rotate and say, only thing you're gonna do is, is medicine. You need to balance that out to say, I'm gonna give you some candy, I'm gonna give you some cool things, but you know, you must take this and you need to get the credibility to make the call. So if you ignore that and you say, I'm just gonna forget about everything else that is in the back end, and I'm just gonna do the cool things and get out, you end up in an even bigger mess. So. I think this is pretty much the dark secret is, you know, a lot of companies that good CIOs are go to do the, do the transformation at the foundation level. Make sure you have proper networks. Make sure that, you know, you don't have to go really to, a, to put everything on a public cloud, you know, if your data center is reasonably operating. So, you know, you can't give up on that. You got to run a, you can run a good private cloud and then make a choice on which ones make sense to be on a public cloud, what's, stuff should be staying in your in private cloud and so on. 
but it requires some thinking. It requires some, it's not an instantaneous answer like that. Right? Yeah, well, you brought up a really good point there. Um, and that is this whole debate about public cloud versus hybrid cloud. Yeah. And I've been making the argument that that transition to, to hybrid cloud is going to take you so long uh, and you're still, still going to leave you with having to solve the problems of going full public cloud. Why, unless there's some burning issue, you can't do it. Why wouldn't you just move directly to public cloud first? Uh, that get, would give you a major competitive advantage over time and save you an entire major multi-year step in the process. Um, I was wondering what you thought about that. So if you and I are a startup and we are thinking of an idea and we don't have time to, to worry about a data center server and so on, yeah, put it on a public cloud, right? See how far you go. You don't have to worry about scaling. And if it sells well in Christmas, you know, good, then we can think about forming a company. I mean, that's what I, for startups, I always advise and say, yeah, just don't even think about it. This is a beautiful environment that you have. But when you, when you get to a certain kind of scale, you, I believe you still have to think a little bit more thoughtful about what goes on a public and what goes on a, on a private cloud. I mean, you look at whatever statistics, you, know, you, you, you should look at good SaaS applications where available, you should try to put uh, things on the public cloud where it makes sense, but completely abandoning it. I mean, again, we're looking for a secret pill. It's similar to what we talked about in outsourcing. I don't know why IT guys, you, I don't know why you run this at all. Just outsource the whole thing to somebody else. But, but, unless, but unless something is stopping me, why wouldn't I take the shortest, the most direct route to my goal? We know that you know, if you look 15 years down the road, public cloud will be 95% of our IT. You know, you can see all the, all the graphs, you know, by 2017, the majority of IT will already be public cloud, the majority of corporate IT, just barely like 51%. Okay. Uh, so I'm just wondering why, if, unless there's some burning reason, why can't we just go straight there? I think that could give companies an ability to leapfrog. I think, I think just, I, all I'm saying is there's nothing wrong, all right? Just be thoughtful about this. You know, don't, don't take the easy way out. So no, then, no, I agree with that. Yeah. This thing has happened before. There used to be companies called application service providers. I moved a lot of my stuff from Honeywell into the application yeah, service. Cloud 1.0, right? <laughs> yeah, and they went out of business and it was very painful to bring them back. So I, I don't like to get into vendor lock or dependent on somebody completely. So be thoughtful about if you go to a public cloud, can you come back? Can you go to another public cloud? You know, uh, how easy it is. Have you actually- Well, that's the whole thing. You know, until we can transparently move workloads between clouds, I, I mean, that's what, but, but going all public forces you to confront that earlier instead of, instead of kicking that can down the road. And kicking the can has really hurt us when it's come to digital transformation, could, I think. Could, could be. I, 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 all, I'm, all I'm saying is when you actually, when you go through a data base, you're going to look and say, you're going to make decisions like email. Do I want to run it inside or outside? Let's go out. Okay, that takes some, that gives you some bandwidth to do something else. Then you say, you know, I look application like salesforce.com. Do I want to write it or do I want to go online? So there are some good SaaS applications. Payroll, do I want to run it or do I want to give it to somebody else? So you can go through this. I would just say you still have to go through what is critical for me and what is not critical for me. You have to go through that exercise. Because again, if you don't differentiate, all of us are running on Salesforce, all of us are running on Office 365, all of us are running the same tools and so on. What are we differentiating? So the, the first dialogue we have on I say something thought, think thoughtfully about what is critical infrastructure for you, where should it be? And think beyond just putting it on one cloud provider, think a little bit about not getting locked in, have the flexibility. There are also a lot of studies to prove that if you have scale, that I, I run a public cloud internally and I put a, a private cloud internally and also put a lot of public cloud. My, a lot of the private cloud, public clouds are not map, necessarily matching your cost. Uh, or flexibility that you want if you run it well. It's all about control, right? At the end of the That's day, right. 
That's right. So listen, listen when we, even when we had everything in our own data center, uh, it was difficult to do integration. So if you have in 30 different cloud, I mean, there are software companies who say we'll integrate across multiple clouds. It is not simple, you know, because we could not integrate applications that were sitting in my own data you know, center. It's, it's the holy grail. And, and, and really, there's not a lot of incentive for providers to do that. Um, and I won't put you on the spot and ask you what you guys are, are, are doing there. But um, I do want to uh, talk about another topic, uh, given that we have, a, we have about five minutes left in the show. Um, and one that, that uh, is still in what, what I like to call its cave painting days, and it's going to be bigger than anything. It's going to you know, make our networks 10 times, 100 times bigger, and that is Internet of Things. Sure. Everything in our businesses and our personal lives is about to get connected, right? Every trivial, and I would, a non-trivial, and every trivial object, that I think, uh, at some point will be connected soon. What does that really mean? What are your thoughts on, on how we're going to deal with this avalanche of data and compute power we're going to need to deal with all this? Yeah, so when I started my career the, the, in, the, in 30 years ago, we were thinking about automation, robotics, in, uh, artificial intelligence. We talked about all this in manufacturing. We used to call it computer-integrated manufacturing, and, and I was one of those engineers. Then what, what happened is we said, why do we deal with it? You know, let's just move to China. We'll move somewhere else. We don't care about that part. A couple of things that happens with that is then you spend a lot of time on supply chain, you know, in tracking containers and things across the board. And then what happens if, if you have to go to another country? I mean, if the cost goes up. So I think some people are going to, I think at some stage, we're going to look back and say, we need to figure out how to make the things efficient and, and simplify supply chain. And the cost of these uh, um, robots and stuff have come down tremendously. So there will be a, a people re-looking at the total cost and flexibility and the 3D printing and the robots that are coming out to say, how, how will we do it effectively? That's one. The second thing that you have is, there's so much data in factory or in, or in a device that people throw away because they don't know what to do with it. Well, it's and the so, whole dark data problem. Either they don't, they don't know they have it or they, they can't use it. They don't have the bandwidth to consume the information out of it. Uh, yeah, it's a real big challenge. So, so you, you go to some pharmaceutical companies and they will, sometimes the pills don't come out the right way and you ask them, it is all prescriptive, recipe-driven in manufacturing. So you wonder why batch to batch you have the variance and why do you have this? And they will say something like, you know, some days when it's foggy and when it's rainy or, you know, third day of the month or new moon or whatever, we have this issue, which really means is we don't have the data to figure out what is causing that batch to be different than the other batch. Now with the Internet of Things, you can actually measure a lot more data points so you can have a lot more scientific about it. And then you don't have to throw this data stuff away. So I think, you know, when I started this, so... Um, uh, our CEO gave me the responsibility, again, as a CIO, being in the table and looking at the problem. He says, why don't you look at this problem and tell us you know, how, what VMA should do with this? So initially, my approach is, what is so different about it? I've done this before. This is just the same old stuff coming on. But it is different fundamentally now. There are a lot more elegant solutions. There are a lot better companies, a lot better sensors, and you know, a lot more you can do on the internet, and a lot more on the analytics platform. So what I tell the CIO, this is a big trend. What I tell the CIOs are, quite honestly, if you're frank with each other, we kind of missed the SaaS trend, right? We, we found that people, the CMOs and other people signed up with the SaaS. And then we tried to say, how do I get control over the shadow IT, which we kind of created in a way. And then we kind of tried to go back and say, can I put a, a, some kind of a solution to monitor how many cloud uh, you know, applications I have? Similar mobile. We were happy with the BlackBerry applications till people started selling, well, I like to use my iPhone or I use my Android. We noticed saying, why should I worry about that? And then, then when people started bringing their own devices, 
we kind of said, well, here's a AirWatch, you know, mobile device management solution that helps you, which is fine. What I'm telling CIOs now is get ahead of this one. This wave is coming. I don't know if it's coming in six months, if it's coming in a year, it's coming in two years. This wave is coming. You have an opportunity to define the architecture and take a leadership position in this and, and be really valuable to the company. Or you're going to get consumed by it and all of a sudden you're going to find out that your air conditioning machine is talking to the internet, your robots are talking to the internet, you have no control over it, and then it's going to affect your SAP system, your audit committee is going to ask, and you, you're going yeah, to be well, in a Yeah, exactly. Well I, well, I think that's going to be one of our big challenges is the sheer complexity and the combinatorics, right? Yeah. Now, I, now I'm only, now only half-jokingly say the CIO 20 years from now will be you know, an artificial intelligence uh, agent running, running things for the most part. Look forward to it. Anything to make me look better and smarter. I will put anything in my Absolutely. body that makes me brighter. <laughs> you got it. Well, well, great. Uh, well, thanks so much for taking time uh, out of your busy day to come talk to us at TXO Talk. Um, uh, and so uh, uh, thanks for joining us. Uh, I really appreciate um, uh, we have Basque Iyer, CIO of VMware, sharing his thoughts on the future of IT, digital transformation, and a whole bunch of other things. Thank you very much, Basque. Thank you, Dan.